Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and the special guest host this week is Jim Bachman from Minoxi Brewing Company. Hi there. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. And we have two special guests in studio this week, the internet sensation, Shelfies, the show. We have Rob Goss and Curtis Ferguson. Hey, guys. What's happening? Or actually, maybe you guys should just do your intro. (laughs) Just pretend you're on your show. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is a special episode of Shelfies. I'm Turd. This is... The BA Guy. And today, we are on the Uncapped Podcast. Woo! What? (laughs) Very nicely done. Yeah, thank you. So uh, one of the reasons we had, uh, I have Jim here is because he's also a Boston fanboy, and you may have Smile. sensed a small accent and that Rob is from Boston, so that we'll try to keep the Boston love to a minimum. Or it's hard to do around <laughs> us. That's right. Can you believe that? That's Graham may come over sad. the desk and attack you. Wicked. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> so let's first tell me a little bit about you yourselves we'll start with rob what do you what do you do for those who don't know your little bit of your background in the beer industry um so i'm the beer manager at whitey's in linthicum maryland um i've been in the beer industry for since about 2008 i use the benchmark of um raging bitch coming out as one of the first beers that i remember and that was around the same time i started so what's raging bitch now at least 2009 yeah so it's about 2008 2009 that i started doing that um i've been interested in beer actually i was thinking about this the other day jim probably can relate to this when you used to go on dead tour when you go to dead shows on shakedown street a lot of the people that were vending would always have really good beers like they would have like sierra they would have um nut brown all, all kinds of sam smiths and you could buy it so that's really my first exposure magic hat was in, in that so that was probably what not late 80s 90s so that's really where i started getting interested in craft beer itself and then i did a variety of things including raising racehorses and alpacas and finally i ended up working at uh rips and buoy and that's kind of how i started on the whole um, craft beer thing. Why would you give up raising alpacas? That sounds like an amazing <laughs> career. Well, it was a, it was a pretty fun career actually. There was a lot. I learned a lot of things about like being in public and things like that. We used to do a lot of shows and that kind of stuff. And I traveled all over the country. But as you can imagine, there's not really that much call for alpacas after a certain point. So that was like. But it's big, really fun to say alpaca. It is really fun <laughs> to say alpaca. It's like a horse. What? Is, what? Is it? It's like a llama. Don't oh, don't get me started because if I start so like alpacas, like an American tell you, camel, I will or? tell you everything you know about alpacas. It will kill this podcast. There will be no <laughs> ratings on this podcast. Uh, we'll try to not kill it then. <laughs> so when you were when you were out at, on tour, would you often seek out guys who were dragging that cooler with them that had a few extra Sierras? No, in but and, you uh, know it was, was always like three for five bucks. And so if you're on shakedown and your cars like far, you don't want to go back to your car, so you're on shakedown. So sure. you would just buy Sierra pails. Stuff but like you that. didn't start looking for those. No, no, I didn't do that. I didn't seek them out, but they were pretty common. There was more of that than, say, selling domestic stuff, I, from what I remember. I mean, those are kind of blurry days. <laughs> what about you, Curtis? Uh, I am a videographer. I've, uh, I graduated from Villa Julie College, which is now called Stevenson University, in 2006 with a video degree. So I've worked in uh, local TV for 
about 10 or 11 years now, whatever it is. And uh, my introduction to craft beer was probably a New Belgian, New Belgium in like 2009, 2010. Uh, I, I think that was like the first craft beer that like I really like took to. Um, I guess it's an amber ale, which is not really a style that I drink a ton of now. But um, yeah, I think I actually owe my intro to craft beer to New Belgium. And now you're full-on fanboy. Now I'm a full-on fanboy. Uh, hashtag fanboys. <laughs> so <laughs> Chuggies. <laughs> and you were saying originally that's what the show started as? Yeah, so, well... Actually, so yeah, let's go back. Yeah. How, how was... Because um, I remember you, you originally had a show together that was different. Yeah, so I was actually working for Whitey's. So Rob actually introduced me to Rick, which is the owner of Whitey's. And he was paying me to do Rob's show, The Bia Show. And we kind of like did it in the aisle. Were you contractually obligated to pronounce that way? <laughs> the Bia. B-A-B-E-A-H. I'm, tra- I'm training him. He's yeah. getting better at Bia it. guy. Um, so I did work for them for a while. And uh, I guess... Uh, we kind of, I don't know if we ran out of guests or what happened, but we just ended up not really doing the show for like a year and a half. And he told me about a new brewery in Poolsville, or not Poolsville, uh, where's Waradaka? Like uh, Laytonsville, Laytonsville. Like or someplace in and, Moco. Uh, Rob suggested that I, you know, bring the camera back out and we just go film some stuff. And it was just kind of that in March. Rob kind of, uh, kind of giving me the inspiration to like get back into this. Um, but my goal wasn't to make it like a job. I wanted it to be something by a beer fan for beer fans. And I do use Rob as kind of like, you know, he's the credibility of the show in a lot of ways. Uh, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) but Rob's super connected in the industry. Um, I mean, all of our guests are booked by Rob. Uh, I've, I've got to meet some amazing people like Jim Bachman and, uh, you know, Ben Little's been on this show before, and uh, Nick Fertig, who works for Full Tilt, he was just uh, on our episode. I just saw, and, and isn't like isn't he just an amazing person? Those guys, yeah, are the yeah those guys. guys. I, awesome. I had those never guys. met Nick until he came on the podcast, and it just yeah. like he's like just an awesome all around dude. Yeah, not as great as the amazing Jim Bachman. No, yeah. like, they're right. The amazing. I mean, they're right Bachman. neck, right there, neck and yeah. neck. But congratulations, <laughs> congratulations, photo finish. Congratulations to Nick Fertig. He got married uh, about a week and a half ago or two weeks yeah. ago. So congratulations, Nick. But yeah, super good guy. Yeah, I had those guys on. I did like their second event ever. I remember when I was at this place called Old Line. We had a a bar in Old Line. And so I saw them post something about them starting. And so I hit them up on like Facebook Messenger or something. And um, they were like, yeah, we'll totally do that. And it was like my, they were so new to the area that my sales rep was like, who the hell are these guys? I don't even know who they are. And I said, it doesn't matter. You just can't get my get him the my me the beer and we'll do an event with him and since then i mean i'm those guys hard working knocking door to door i love those guys speaking of getting beer um let's curtis and i talk for a little bit while one of you pour some beer holla since the only people who have any credibility in the beer industry yes it's five oh uh it's five forty (laughs) three cool so you said Rob brings the credibility, yeah. and so you just you, and the connections. You bring and, a camera to the table. Yeah, I'm bringing so. camera, and really, like, 
and some sweet uh, lavalier mic dancing. Yes, exactly. So I'm I'm not like really a camera guy, right? So I I I can work a camera, and I uh, you know I can work with lighting and microphones and that kind of thing. But my my main skills and passion is with video editing, and I really uh, when I started this show each and every week in March, I would try to push myself to the limit, right? And I kind of take like a CrossFit attitude to my passion, which is video. And I want to keep trying new things and keep making the show better. Um, You know, like I really appreciate the support for the show, which has been incredible. And I have Rob to thank for having fans, right? Like I'm just a beer fan and I have fans and it's mainly because of Rob and Rob's connections. So I owe, I owe all of this to Rob. We actually owe everything to Kara. Your and wife. my wife, yeah. That's how the whole thing started. Yeah, she, uh, she, so we we kind of just did one episode as only a Maryland Beer Drinkers Club episode. So our first episode, which is still up, I only uploaded private. It got a bunch of likes. People were commenting. I was getting messages from people, and I was showing my wife just sitting next to her on the couch, and she's like, you didn't post this publicly? And I was like, no. Like, I didn't know if I could or should. And she's like, you have to run with this. And it was just me and Rob. We didn't have any guests on and anything. So by the time the next day came, I uploaded it publicly, got a bunch of engagement on my personal business page. And then a couple weeks after that, I started making pages for the actual show because now the show has kind of taken on a life of its own in a way. And I I think that, you know, that we both kind of reach – uh, a demographic that's pretty wide in terms of age, in terms of interests, in terms of knowledge, and all of that kind of stuff. And I think it's our relationship with each other that is a big part of why people watch the show, too. And beer helps. <laughs> yeah, Cheers. Pe- people do seem to be interested in listening to people talk about beer, which has surprised me that so many people would want to listen to me talk to people about beer. And I assume it's it has to purely be based on my guess because i can't imagine yep. anyone wants to listen to me well i mean you work in the industry though so i mean you have more credibility than me i mean i i no, I'm literally I, no I, I work at the news post I don't well know. true but you you said you did have a liquor license <laughs> well, and yeah or but know. that's barely Oops. working in the <laughs> um and so jim tell us about this beer uh this is the blank slate series release this is in our uh our 40s where i think this is our 42nd or 43rd release on the blank slate series this is called paper canoe mm. this is a uh an american west coast double ipa very resinous very piney really nice hop character there right now all the uh hop character in the industry has kind of come to the fruity and citrusy side we're uh sticking with that nice resinous piney hop with this beer but this and is kind of great it's great the front end of it's great. You get a little bit of grapefruit in the nose, but it's pretty soft. Yeah, and then it rolls right off, wow. and you get that nice resin to finish it out. That's delicious. How strong is this? Just about eight percent. Don't yeah, be driving after, have, Chris. Yeah. Probably should have poured that 8%. a little, poured that a little lighter there. You don't have to drink the whole thing. <laughs> Half so, empty glasses don't look appealing. Yeah, they, they, I guess not. So, what what glass are you drinking out of? Oh, I. Uh, a glass that represents all these great uh, Frederick County companies on it. Uh, they are great. Yeah. It says red all over on the back. That's a good beer. So 
I'm, I actually have a question. Um, so now you now you guys have really started to kind of like open the doors up to anything, right? I mean, you, you guys aren't just doing one certain style of beer anymore. You're, you, are you in like the experimental era, maybe in a way, or? I would say that the entire Blank Slate series is an experimental era for us. Uh, and like I said, this is our 42nd or 43rd release so far. Um, the whole goal is to test the capability of our brewing staff's creativity and their ability to execute on really unique takes yeah. on beer. And uh, I think they've been crushing it. Yeah, the Goes of Althea uh, was our 22nd great. release. We're in our second year now uh, wow. putting that into bottles. I think we're thrilled with that. We just kicked off a new beer called Radiance. You guys came yep. out and shot uh, some footage on that release, and uh, I think that's doing really well. You just had Todd on shelfies to talk about it. And, uh, what about we're, cans? We're thrilled. Cans are a subject that we're uh, we're working towards. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where we've made a lot of investment in 12-ounce bottles. We definitely see that cans are something that can be beneficial to the consumer and to the retailer. So uh, that's something that we're considering. Yeah. Because these beers are basically the farm team for what really moves through the tasting room, right? So Absolutely. Ra- that's how Radiance sort of came about. Like, it did really well. So you were like, let's put this in bottles and see how it does in stores and it only comes out like what every six weeks ish or so so it stays always stays fresh yeah so the goal with radiance is to keep it a fresh beer we want uh to be producing it year round but we're going to run into these gaps where we'll have it out you know of of inventory for a few weeks just to ensure that the shelf stability is there and all that kind of stuff our biggest fear is to brew huge batches of that beer and then have it, and then sit. Have it sit not because the beer is no good or because people aren't interested but because we've brewed more than the volume can pull through um, so and it misrepresents the beer after two months on the shelf. It's not what it was a week on the shelf. Surely. So, yeah, that's so. In, that's important now, like, because people come in all the time and check dates. And, you know, always <laughs> like this guy. And uh, I'm like his I, worst customer. I'm like, no, I got some got people that are worse. Trust <laughs> me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's a big thing now, especially IPA-wise. Like, when I order now... I really short order on certain things because I know even if I can get a bunch, if it sits for more than a month, people are going to be like, I'm not buying that. That's old. How did, how did you do with Radiance? Radiance has done well. I think we're down to, we had a pretty big drop after the shelfies. I think we're down to three or four cases tops. Nice. I, I don't think we, and we've only had it for probably two weeks. Yeah. So we're, it's, it's moving through. Yeah. I saw that episode. It was really nice of Todd to, come out on your show yeah he was like not far from the story he was he was out the, he was in the other day he was doing some lawn work or something and he was bought some stuff needed something yeah he needed something so yeah he popped in and we have a barrel with monocacy um a jack daniels barrel that we're going to put some brutus in to start and then for our customer appreciation sale in the fall probably september-ish we're talking about putting like a red IPA or something like that, and the big red IPA and and barrel agent. So by that time, most of the Jack Daniels flavor will have been contributed to the Brutus, and we'll be focusing on the flavor of the oak, yeah. which is going to be really, um, really unique. Yeah, so that'll that be good. that'll be a great beer. I'm excited about that. Yeah. So can you explain what the shelfies mean? Because I had absolutely no idea, and Jim was actually nice enough to explain to me what yeah. it meant. <laughs> so the the name of the show. Uh, Actually, I wanted the name of the show to be Shelf Turds. Yeah, and I said, we're not doing that, so. dude. i got to get all these industry people. They're going to be, oh, you want to come on my show? It's called Shelf Turds. But that's like we'll the talk whole, about your beer. But that's like part like, of it now. Like, right? like, 
it's, that's like our gimmick, right? Like it, to me, like every every good show, every good character has like a, a certain gimmick, right? Right. Our, our, I mean, it was a great idea, and actually, people use shelfies. Like you see that as a hashtag a lot. Yeah, like a lot now. So. It, it worked out really well, but that whole shelf turd thing, I was like, Curtis, I can't be calling things yeah. shelf so, turds. So I got I got the no from Rob for the shelf turds. <laughs> um, and I had seen some a buddy of mine on Untapped refer to beers that he bought from the liquor store as shelfies. And uh, I just kind of took it and ran with it. And it's funny how, like, I'd never really seen the term ever used, and now I see people hashtagging, like, shelfies on different beer groups based on us just kind of getting that name out there a little bit more. So I'm not going to take credit for inventing it, but I've been definitely the driving force between before or both of us being the driving force of getting that name out there. So this is yeah. a shelf purchased beer as opposed to something you get a brewery and pick up. Exactly. Okay. But I wanted the show to kind of show both sides of that show beer trading, show beers that sit around and also show beers that are upcoming. So it's that kind of formula of those three things that have kind of got us to where we're at so it was like a three beer regimen we'd start with our line beer or brewery release then we do our shelfie which is like our unappreciated shelfie and then we do our upcoming new product that's that's coming out and that could be either a shelfie it could be draft only anything like that but now that we're 15 episodes in we pretty much just do whatever we want the for <laughs> the formula for the show now is in terms of how i edit it so it is um, more of like a pattern with how I cut it and in terms of, you know, how I start the show, what's then our introductions. And then we have, you know, maybe outtakes. I do a lot of outtake type stuff. But if the content's weak, I have certain things I can fall back to. Yeah. So I'm still kind of confused. So Paper Canoe would be it would not be a, be a shelfie because you can only get it at the brewery. Yes. So, but if but now radiance, even though it's just as delicious, is a shelfie. Is a shelfie because it's bottled in. Okay, yeah. So now you can see why Rob wanted me to not call them shelf turds, right? Because there's a lot of good beers that are shelf turds. When I say shelf turd, I don't think of it as a beer I don't like. I think of it as a shelfie. So to me, it was just kind of like, you know, some people are going to take that a little differently than me. Gotcha. I'm like a little too connected to the scene. Sometimes I forget that not everybody's into this like I am. Like it's like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. from our our perspective, you know, calling something a shelf turd is a little derogatory because it means it's dying on the shelf. It's a beer that's just not moving at all. And I think that that is where there's the potential for yeah. a, a brewery rep or you to know, be offended. Yeah, uh, even that. a wholesaler rep to be like, hey, man, what what is that all about? You yeah. know, and and we're not blind to it. We can walk into stores and see which beers yeah. may or may not be moving and. You know, it happens to the best of us sometimes, but well, you to probably me, don't want to call it out that way. <laughs> well, but the collection that he has of beers, get I and, and my point wasn't calling them shelf turds. It was being like, hey, you guys are calling these shelf turds, but they're actually really good beers that you should try. Yeah, and that's, that's why we did a, yeah. a lot with them. We haven't done as many. We're going to probably go back to that a little bit, but we used to do every week we would talk about, he'd be like, well, what's been sitting around that looks really interesting? that we should do on the show. So we would do like council, those wonderful heart saisons that they do. And we just a bunch of stuff like that. So we would give exposure to things that people come in. Cause you go into a liquor store now, a, a bottle shop and, it's overwhelming. Like a lot of people come in and they're going to be your like, store. Your store's overwhelming. I and, mean, and we're not even that big. And so people are like, 
they get where, flushed. Where do you go? Right. Well, actually, yeah. so uh, where is Whitey's? Tell people. Where it's in just... it's in North Lithcom and Hammonds Ferry Road. If you know G and M Crab Cakes, G and M Crab Cakes. It's right down the street from um, BWI. So we're basically the closest liquor store to BWI. So if you get back in town and you get drunk real fast, right? Stop exactly. And then head <laughs> well, on what to what works really well for our store is the fact that there's such a focus on local beer for everybody throughout the country that we get people to come in and they want local. You know, they'll go to Heavy Seas, which is really close to us. Um, they'll come over to us and be like, I like Loose Cannon. Do you have it? And of course we have it. So people will buy it. Um, then we have other people that are only in for one night. So maybe they buy a single of the Milk House stuff because they want a local beer but they're not going to buy a six-pack because they're rolling out tomorrow or whatever. We get a lot of people that are in town for, you know, like when the Red Sox come to town or when people that are leaving. Of course, leave, the Red leave, Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and, or they're leaving on a cruise or something, so they want something for, the, for that night before they leave. So we, we sell a lot of local beer that way. And he's right off 695. Yeah, so, so it's, yeah, we're really close to the city. Super accessible to get to his store, like off the Beltway. And even off 295, so it's it's pretty easy yeah. to get to. Yeah. And just to kind of build on what Rob was saying, I've been there doing tastings on a Friday night and had people come in, say, hey, I'm not from here, we're flying out tomorrow morning, but we wanted to try some local beer. They taste your beer, they grab a six-pack, and they take it home with them. Yeah. So it definitely happens, and it's really a unique setup because you don't see that in every liquor store where you go in to promote your brand, that people are from somewhere else and they want to take it with them. And we get a lot of people that are just – want local beer anyway i mean that live around there i mean we got a good cross-section of people in that store and you do growler fills too we do growler so we always try to get something on growler that like you can't get in package obviously um we do a lot of a stuff non with the shelfy way. right a non-shelfy you see how fast that catch on? Yeah, you, yeah you're good technically you could still once once it hits his store it's a shelfy to me even if it's like a limited release that hits his store still a shelfy Anything that's sold from a liquor store to me is a shelfie. Man, Man. You're he's not, he's you're not down any to wiggle a room. Yeah, well, he's got it down to a sign. Look, let's be honest, right? The secondary market is is thriving right now. People are willing to spend hours and hours of their time and hundreds and hundreds of dollars at one brewery to buy lots of beers that they can take and trade to all their buddies all across the country or some people in the world. So to me, you know. Rob has recognized that, and as opposed to fighting against it, Rob has accepted that this secondary market exists and that not all people are going to go to his store to find good beer. And he's actually going out of his way to find beer that he can never sell. And to me, that's really admirable. And it's like research and development in a way. Rob Rob knows more than any other person in this state in terms of beer. That. That's a stretch. But. Hey, if I have a question about something, he's the first person I go to. That's a stretch. But. So, and you're you're heavily involved in that subculture, beer yeah. trading, uh, waiting in line for can yeah. releases, and I, I like to think of myself as like the Beckett of beer trading. You know, Beckett, like with book the where, baseball cards, yeah, like book. the baseball cards, you can flip through and see how much <laughs> like, cards values. Well, because card trading was big, right? My father is a, a big time card card collector and trader, so like I've kind of I didn't really ad- adopt that. Like I don't really have my own collection of cards, but. I collect beer and I like to age certain beers too. And to me, I'm constantly assessing the value of waiting in line for a beer. I'm more likely to go wait in line for a beer that I'm not going to drink than I am to go wait in line for a beer that I am going to drink. 
because but but you want it for trade exactly so yeah which so is you sound insane to me he is insane <laughs> trust me we've had this conversation many times so you you are not into beer trading or... i don't have an He's issue the veil with me i don't he, i don't have an issue with it i mean i've st- stood in line in vermont for hetty i've stood in line with him at the veil i mean i'm fine with it but my opinion of it is if you're gonna buy it don't just have it as a brag drink it i mean i don't care if you buy three four packs drink at least a four pack of it don't just buy it and be like well i'll get this for this i'll get this for this that's that's the hardo stuff i'm talking about that i I, i'm not down with that stuff so so is there any kind of resource where like that does determine the value of different beers shelfies the show (laughs) yeah well because i but and then you know that's kind of like i want to cover all aspects of of craft beer craft beer isn't just the beer you can buy at the store craft beer isn't just the beer that comes from a certain brewery like there's a, a an entire community of people that have you know the same passion that i do with wanting to try lots of different things that's why that's why i got into craft beer it was to to try a bunch of stuff that i would be okay with not liking if i didn't like it and that's what like i'm okay with trying a beer and not liking it because somebody will like that beer and actually shout out to ben little he he actually i, I was kind of trashing a beer in front of him once and he and he corrected me he's like you know just because you didn't like it doesn't mean somebody else won't and that kind of stuck with but me. But you've been like that since I've known you. Because I remember probably what had to be at least a year ago. And there was an article in Thrillist or one of those Mac, one of those websites about Gozes. And you were like, Gozes are disgusting. <laughs> he, he hated go. He hated Gozes. And I was just like, they're, they're pretty good. Check it out. And he was like, no, they, they're terrible. They suck. And now he like, <laughs> now he's like the Goza king. So it's like, <laughs> it was he's older, really, older the good pro. thing about him, he, yeah, and the good thing about him is he's really open-minded, so he'll he'll change his mind really fast. So yeah, I, I, I am a little bit of a flake. I, I kind of have been my whole life with things that I like. Like, I get really into one thing, and then I'm like, oh, I'm bored with that. Time to do the next thing. Where's the next cool hidden hit thing? So this show has kind of opened that door for me to, like, have that outlet of announcing things to people, like, I'm a performer. I, I did drama in high school. I'm a thespian, uh, I, but I chose to do video in college as opposed to theater. So I love to perform, and there's no doubt about that. So what's the most you've ever paid for a beer? For like a single beer? Yeah. Oh man. In actual cash or trade value? Because it's uh, we'll go both. So uh, uh, tired then, hands. Uh, in time invested in waiting. All three categories. Oh, time. So, um, well, no, you can start with so, the time. Well, I would say all three of those are answered by tired hands, uh, just because you can wait in line for like six hours there. So you like put your chair out <laughs> on the sidewalk, and then you go inside and you drink and you like eat food and hang out with a bunch of friends. So that that's probably the place where I've spent the most time. So like, if their Instagram comes down on Wednesday morning, they're like, "Hey, we're re- releasing a milkshake." If I don't have to work that night, I'm gonna go up there, spend six hours hanging out, drinking some beers, eating some good food. And then pick up my milkshakes that I'm not going to drink myself. I'm going to <laughs> trade them for other beers that I want to try. So, uh, yeah, you're, I, I am kind of the uh, other side of what Rob is, right? So Rob, Rob has uh, invested interest in this industry. I have invested interest in this industry, too, but in a whole different realm, in a whole different world. So from the perspective of a brewery representative, where is the... 
where's the onus for quality when it comes to beer mules, beer traders? Yeah. Where's the onus for misrepresentation because you may yeah. not have heard what you thought you heard about the beer and you yeah. give the wrong information out? How do you guys claim responsibility for that? And how are you okay with that just falling back on the breweries? Yeah, this yeah, it, it yeah. is this is a very touchy subject right now, um, especially with private beer groups. Um, there is a there is a brewery in the tri-state area here or tri area, DC, Virginia, Maryland, that has continually put out stuff that has had issues, such as exploding cans, a lot of gook at the bottom, that kind of thing. Like, I don't want to name them just because I've had beers from them that I really enjoy. And I would never want someone to just stop going to them. But there is that honest part of me that's like, I do need to say that, you know, I did have problems with it just because I don't want to recommend it to somebody. And then they come back to me as a trader and be like, why did you recommend that to me? It's terrible. And sometimes I think honesty goes a long way but that honesty can also hurt a business, right? So it is kind of a double-edged sword in a way, having these beer groups where people can just post whatever they want, right? Like, I'll be upfront. I saw someone post something on Maryland Beer Drinker Club that was a negative about monocacy. I won't get into specifics, but before you could even chime in, there's someone who's on there that says, you know, hey, like, cut them a break. Like, we're all humans. Like, things happen. People get busy. Just relax. And I'm, I am that way. So like, I, I have to have someone kind of bring me back sometimes because I am a fan. I get super passionate about it. And Rob is that is, your job, Rob? That's Rob's my job. job. This well, is me. <laughs> I had a super strong opinions about RAR switching to the online ticket releases, and I, and I'll openly talk rar. about this. Rar, rar, roar, rar. Yeah, didn't rar. you see in the uh, Maryland Beer Drinkers Club that it's definitely not RAR? It's well, no, well, I. It's I good. just say it differently each time. Then yeah. I'm see. I can't stand that partially. anyway. I, I call them RAR. Yeah, because it's like when people used to call Public Image Limited pill. No, it's Public Image Limited. It's the same thing. It drives me crazy. It's Real Ale Revival. It's R A R. It's an it acronym, for. right? Is my saying? Yes, yeah, it's, it's an acronym. That is the word. But some people have like real thick Baltimore accents, and it sounds like Are you going down to Roar. And I'm like Roar, <laughs> Roar, where? Where are we going? But so they switched from doing having people wait in line for seven hours for beer to online ticket sales. That's a guaranteed ticket, right? Guaranteed ticket, but they weren't letting you pre-buy the beer at first. You would just buy the ticket, and then you can show up within a two-day span and buy however much you liked. But obviously, there became like an issue with counting and keeping track of who who got what, and they were still selling it to people that got in line too. So now they've switched over to online purchasing. So you basically buy exactly what you want, and then you could send that sales receipt to your friend who lives closer, and they can pick it up for you. Well, you're probably just buying a ticket, though. You're buying a ticket. It's illegal to buy beer online. Technically, well, you're paying for the yes, ticket. The ticket is paying good as cash. Ticket. It's a gift card uh, or exactly. something. Exactly. And also, let's let's get into muling a little bit, right? So, like, muling is like, as a service, it's legal. As sales, it's not. So there are mules who will sell beer. There are mules who do mule for a service. So it, there is a little bit of gray area, that's for sure. Um, but I've put all that behind me. I had Brandon Skillman from the group and also Mark Thomas, who are both admins on Maryland Beer Triggers Club. And 
they've kind of like sent me private messages during this time. And this was when the group was smaller too. Um, and they were just like, Hey man, like, it's okay. Just come <laughs> back to the other side. It's going to be okay. Like, cause you get like one person who chimes in and then they think that like they start speaking for you. They're like, Oh no, he hates the brewery, he hates their beer. I'm like, no, no, no. Like there's a huge disconnect with arguing with people on the internet. And tone is something that you cannot portray or uh, understand through a keyboard. So, so is part of it the community aspect of just hanging out for the time waiting in line, or yeah. for you is it purely you just want to get that beer so you can this might sound ship weird it to someone and get something else. My favorite part is going to release that I know nobody that's going to be there, and I'm throwing at my own will with in a group of people that I've never met before. I don't know if I'm going to like those people. I don't know if I'm not going to like those people. Kind of like how I take craft beer, right? So, like, I'm always willing to try new craft beers. I'm not going to like some of them. I'm going to like a lot of them. <laughs> but that's that's kind of how the whole release thing is. Um, it's definitely a male-dominated thing. I wish it wasn't so. Um, that You know, that to me, that is a problem. Like, I feel like more women should feel like it's okay to go wait in the line for, for beer. But I can understand why so many don't because – it's just, it's a dude fest. Like, and to me, I, I would love to start seeing like more breweries that, that reach out to women specifically because women love craft beer and actually shout out to two people that Jim introduced us to. She doesn't like, she doesn't, she doesn't drink, drink light, light, beer. light beer. So prime example, right? Like they say it in the title, like women drink craft beer, women drink dark beer, women drink hoppy beer. And that's a huge disconnect, I think, in the industry right now. Well, and I think a lot of people need to pay attention to the fact that women are the fastest growing consumer segment for craft beer right now. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really where the attention of the brewery should be. Yeah. Uh, we're pretty fortunate. We have several female employees and uh, female staff members that bring a lot to the table for Monoxy Brewing Company. Our quality assurance manager was one of the first uh, female brewers in Maryland. So it's a really cool thing to be able to say that, you know, you have a lot of different ideas and you are represented by all kinds of people in your brewery. And I've been in it long enough to see a lot of that growth. Like I've, since I've started, you see a lot more women coming in and buying hoppy beers. You're not like back in the day, it was kind of like Hefeweizen's and this and that. But now you see them the whole expanse. My wife who's not a beer person at all, she does, but she is big into sours now. She's big into big stouts. She, she still won't do a lot of like the hoppier stuff. She's not down with that. So my, but. It's fine. My wife is enjoys craft beer just as much as I do. Yes. Yeah. My wife, she'll try everything I bring home now because we have a whole group of friends that goes to Vermont with us every year, and we hit a bunch of breweries up there. So. Will you bring me some focal banger back? <laughs> You know I will. Be your son. <laughs> Be your son. <laughs> but, yeah, so that, I mean, it, you can see, I've seen it since I've been yeah, in it. The I, growth I see a big calling for, and, uh, you know, I'm calling for this for myself and other people that are in the industry with me, is that I think now is the time to have, like, a women and beer documentary done. Now, I'm not saying I should do it. I, I mean, I think maybe you're not here to start drumming up uh, funding start, for it maybe yeah, maybe well, we should we've been but, talking hey, digital about this cave for a while. media they produce they produced Brewmore a couple years ago they've been working on wine documentaries on the west coast right now they're in baltimore and man i could i would love to be able to work we with have a whole list like of people cave. we could have on it too like, yeah it would be great 
I'm yeah, at my max can, with my stay. equipment for that's why I'm also I'm kind of in a way reaching out to other production companies because we'll stop talking about it. Let's, let's talk later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. What and I think it it's it, it it's an interesting subject too in that it it's always talked about as being a problem. And part of the time when what women we, in beer or like the, the trading the lack of women yeah. in in beer um, it's a well trading and everything is often also talked yeah. about I, as being a problem too. Like a lot of breweries don't like it because it, they completely lose control over the quality. And so I, I definitely see that side, but I mean like just the, the women in craft beer. So, and, and it's usually men who are sitting around talking yeah. about how it's just a problem. Like this. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. So my often, my thing is like, well, maybe women just don't want to be involved. <laughs> Like they, yeah, but they I think there's a lot and, of behind-the-scenes women. Like, the, yeah, there absolutely are. Union, this Naptown Pints, a huge person that's well, involved so the, in it. Yeah, there, I, was, I was going to... Attaboy. I, I was slowly getting Denizens. to... I was listening to a podcast that Liz Murphy at Naptown Pint was on. And I think it was her. Um, but one thing they said was, like, one of the most offensive things is when someone says, recommend a beer for a woman. So yeah. it's... I. I think it's one of those things where people think of it as being a problem, and then they look at it as how do you solve the solution for a woman? Yeah. Instead yeah. of, whereas it the problem actually most likely exists just because of well, one a lot of sexist labeling and marketing Names that of it makes yeah it just makes it off putting to get involved because yeah. it is such a boys club. Yeah, and especially the line releases, it's even more like that. I mean, it's like. Yeah, that's a saucy. I sauce. tell my wife like, "Hey, I'm going to my bachelor party. Like, I'm going on my bachelor party today. Like, and that's basically kind of what it feels like." Um, I wish the environment were a little more diverse. That's one thing I, I would like to see change with beer trading is that it isn't all guys. So, like, but I also see why, you know, why women would be shy towards it just because it's so dominated by men, right? What like that's not a reason to be shy for it, but like. To me, it's like we need to be more accommodating, right? Like not in like a specific way, but just overall, right? So like don't be cursing and spitting and farting like next to every like anybody, right? Let alone a man or a woman. Yeah, so. and then there will be like people who, who come out, well, well, the solution is we need to make a pink beer. That's for, oh, for women, which is probably just as bad as the extremely sexist and derogatory yeah. labeling and beer work. names. Yeah, it's yeah, it's total pandering when you do that. Yeah. yeah. Remember a few years ago they had, oh, I remember the spear. I was at Rips. I, I remember the spear, but I can't think of the name of it. It was all pink packaging, and it was just like a, a lager. It wasn't anything special, but it was totally marketed towards Yeah, I, that's what I was trying to think. I couldn't remember. I, yeah, remember that I, beer? I, I can't. It's going to drive me crazy for the rest of the day. I feel like it had a derogatory name, Yeah, it? it was yeah, really it, like, yeah, it was really so weird. And yeah. it was like, this is the It was like trying to take ownership of a derogatory name for women. Yeah, it was so weird, yeah. Yeah. I could see the package in my mind. See, so I think we need to have more on. conversations like this, right? Uh, like, it's okay to talk about this because, like, it, women are equals. Like, there's there's no other way around it. And, like, I, I would like to see more women in the secondary market. That's what I'm calling for. And I do put it on the breweries to make it not so sexist. Yeah, in a way. So no, so you go and stand in those lines, and and is it most of them you're not even going to try? Or was the Tired Hands one just as an example because it has so much value on the secondary market? Yeah, like it's, it's a little bit of uh, both. Um, like I will try them, so I'll usually try them on draft there. 
So I'm kind of seeing that expense in my head as I go. I'm like, oh, okay, like I really do want to try the beer. So I'll just try it here. If I don't love it, then I'm going to trade it. But not like that. Like <laughs> usually like it's the whole milkshake IPA craze, which has kind of let me have this, uh, uh, what leverage in a way, I guess. Like I have these milkshake beers, like, you want them, I, I got them. I don't drink them, but <laughs> I know a lot of other people will drink them. So in a way, it's kind of like having leverage on people where I can get a hold of any other beer that I want. Like for a while, there was like Monkish Brewing Company in California was like the most sought after trade beer. They're requesting like a four pack for one can like in trade, which is like absurd. You know, you do have people that trade dollar for dollar, people that trade ounce for ounce. Um, the best way to deal with trading in my opinion, is to find someone that drinks a style that you like and they don't like and vice versa. And then you have a trade partner for life because they're going to save the beers that they know that you're going to like. Your that beer they don't soulmate. Drink. Your beer soul. <laughs> but there's more than one beer soulmate. Like there's no monogamy in beer trading, right? Like <laughs> there's a show title. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So are, are the... Like most of the people that are standing in line there, are are they the, the same? Are they there just buying the beer to then trade, or it's a it's a mixed there? bag? Uh, Although, like I've seen pictures in the Maryland Beer Drinkers Club of people who went and bought like cases, yeah, not even just cases. Well, that's the like muling a, area, a ludicrous the, amount of not cases. that they bought them. See that now now that's where the muling era. Okay, we other are now people in the bought era, them, and, and you can do a glory haul if you will. <laughs> glory hall of your beer and we wonder why there may not be as much female participation (laughs) in this whole project i I can't quite figure out what is turning them off about this yeah 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 it's well to me the muling thing is as a whole nother issue in a way just because like there are problems with that too in my opinion where like you can have a guy in nashville buy his allotment and then send his ticket to his buddy who lives in cambridge and then he can go get it so well, if there were that many people in the country that wanted raw beer, they could get it. R-A-R beer, they could get it. Because you just all they it, have to do is... If you is, just say it twice, you know you're, you're uh, saying it correctly. R-A-R, R-A-R, R-A-R. <laughs> so, yeah. So, to me, like, the muling thing is a little bit of a gray area with certain aspects. But the main problem that I see in the future is if, like, let's say that Monkish did this online release, right? And they let everybody all over the country buy the allotments, they'd end up selling more beer outside of the state than they would in the state. And everybody's going to be sitting there at a computer, just refreshing, refresh, 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 refresh. And then you also have the people that. And they're just buying it so that they get it. And then over trade it to someone else. So I could tell that you maybe don't, you're not so into the beer trading thing or. No, I, I've barely done any, like I'll. It's no, time not at all. I guess I participate in muling, where yeah. if someone is going someplace that has a beer I want, I'll ask them to bring me it. Yeah. But I don't. You're not going to go to a release and buy a beer just for the sake of having it to trade. No. Yeah. No. I, I, yeah. It seems like way too much effort. Yeah. It's I, been, I have participated in a few trades, but it's mostly, hey, I'm, I'm very interested in trying something from a region that I either know no one or plan not to travel. And I would really be interested in trying it. What would you like from my area that would make sense? I think that's how beer trading really started. And then it got to this like brewery by brewery thing where it's like, well, I'm going to be here and you're not because you're at work on Thursday. 
And, you know, it becomes something where you're really leveraging things and assigning value to things in a completely, as Curtis said earlier, it's a gray market. I mean, it is its own capitalist free market economy where people are determining what value is assigned to everything based on the demand, the availability, or the investment that they made in it. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the... What has the most valuable trade value in our area right now? Um, like the Mid-Atlantic area, we're narrowing yeah. it down to like the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. So we'll exclude anybody in New England. Uh, <laughs> the most value, yeah, I'd that's say. Because most people have had heady and that kind of stuff. That's well, yeah, pretty, I don't like. Okay. I don't even look at that as yeah, being that hard was like, to that get was, at this that point. Yeah, that was like heady, the precursor to all this. So yeah, sip of basically. sunshine that used to be yeah, something to that be was hard huge. to get. But now, Sip of Sunshine, I think you can buy in Trillium, DC. I guess, right would now. be up there. Trillium Tree is definitely yeah. Treehouse is probably the best on the East Coast. Just the Mid-Atlantic, I'm going to have to give the award to Tired Hands. A little biased on that. Um, in Maryland, trade value right now, solely trade value from Maryland breweries right now has to go to Burley Oak. Based on what they're producing and what is in right because that's what trading is about too it's like they're doing these lactose sours which is kind of like a, a new type of style so to me right now the the what holds the most weight in maryland in terms of trade value is burley oak right now so there will be people in california who like i really need to get some burley oak yeah that you could send them and um send see them. monkish is kind of weird right now um maybe modern times maybe that kind of thing you could trade for with burley oak um those those guys that are trading monkish are tough. I mean, they're literally asking for like four to one on most cases. So and it's is not it even really worth it. that good. It's pretty good. Yeah, but is it like is it really that four to good? one good? No, and that's kind of why I don't trade and for it anymore. But I, my opinion always <laughs> yeah, been like four to that's one. That's all subjective now. Yeah, it is very well, because subjective. I look all at of this it is very like, subjective. Um, so the only rare. Like we said, they're not anymore. But like Vogelbanger and Hetty Topper, they're they're great beers. But I feel like I could go to Attaboy and get a Galaxy Made, and it's just as good. And I can walk in, yeah. order a pint, and just take home a growler of it without any effort. Yeah. Speaking so that of. like. <laughs> yeah. Well, that so, brings me back to why I got into craft beer, right? So like. So that that's always my opinion, and maybe it's just rooted yeah. in laziness. But that, I always want to try something new. To me, that's what it means to be a craft beer fan is that you want to try something new all the time. Yeah. There's never a day that I don't want to no try loyalty. something new. There's no loyalty. No, there's definitely loyalty. Yes, no, there's, I just got there's loyalty to breweries. I just got called a fanboy. Are you kidding there, me? There's loyalty to breweries, but there's not loyalty to – in your world, in like the regular world, this hemisphere. Oh, come on. There is loyalty <laughs> in beer trading. Come on. Yeah. Well, for most people, they bounce around so much – on they always want to know what's new blah 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 that kind of stuff well, you're and right it's different for the, you guys. the guys that are in, waiting in for stores. three hours in burley oak this past weekend they probably were at raw the week before right yeah. but how is that proving loyalty they're loyal to the breweries but they're not necessarily like they're loyal who, to the trade they're not even loyal yeah. to the you're breweries. right they're, well because yeah, they're more interested in what they'll get like people who like dale's pale ale will always buy dale's like that's their backup for everything See what I'm saying? And that's a very hard thing to get. Yeah. Is that, that kind of, that, it, that continued that, loyalty. Right, exactly. In craft now. Yeah, that's got to be p- close to impossible to have right now, especially as a craft beer. Like, uh, I'm only ever going to buy 
Riot Rye, because I would say that's close to... Well, the consumer now can say, hey, you know, there are so many beers that are so close, and this gets back to what we're talking about with, hey, I don't need to seek out this beer from New England anymore if I can get a similar beer at home. Yeah. The flavors of beer and the takes on beer and the approaches to beer are all becoming much more uh, substitutable as a good. You know, if they're out of Dale's, that guy's not walking out of Whitey's. He's no, gonna no, find he's going to grab else something similar, else. Yeah. But the next time he is going to look for Dale's again. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that is all true. But as far as loyalty, you don't see. Okay. It's I, a little bit I see. That's a bad word. Maybe me, that's a bad no, word. No, no, it's a great word. And to me, it's like I got called a fanboy earlier, right? And that's because I'm willing to stick up for a company even if they've let me down. Okay? that, that That's loyalty to me. So if someone's going to go on and trash the brewery that I was talking about earlier that's been having some issues, right? And they're going to be like, don't nobody ever go to Aslan. Like, that's not okay to me. Being honest about what you got and purchased from them, that's okay. But to recommend to a group of people that you don't know to say, ban this place, that's not okay. Well, and this is where my original question about how trading and quality issues uh, kind of never align with the goals of the brewery. Yeah. Um, my biggest concern there being this <laughs> this gray market where the brewery has no control, nor do they hear the feedback. Yeah. And without that tool, the feedback from the consumer, yeah, the brewery's at a loss. That's why you so, need a plant, right? So, like, you need someone that's planted in all these groups that can kind of keep an eye out for you in a way. Like, it is kind of like a mafia in a way. I mean, that's <laughs> one way to do it. I guess the other way to do it is to just, you know, you see what happens with uh, some of these places where guys are doing these ticket sales or breweries are doing these ticket yeah. sales and hey, we're selling this allotment, you can get your, your beers. People make comments in the posts about how, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to go ahead and sell these as soon as I get them, and then That's the brewery is now paying attention. Yes. Well, and also, we also can't forget that D.C. is legally allowed to send somebody who works at their liquor store down to a release at the Vale, pick up four, four cases, and then sell it $15, $20 a can back at back in a dc liquor store well and that's happened in the past with uh heady well it it, it happened with uh hill farmstead there was a a big release at a bar one evening and uh, it was going to feature some hill farmstead growlers that came down and i recall reading about you know this this letter that was written to the bar owner and it was basically hey you know our goal is to keep our beer in a certain geographic area because we want that kind of control over it yeah and it's not respectful to do this and i think that kind of leans over into this trading thing too you know i think it's a little bit different if my if if my brands are on the shelf and you can go in and buy them you can take them wherever you want but if they're limited and they're limited to a small release or to a small geographical area that's not widely distributed maybe it's better not to do that at least for the brewery it's the wild wild west right now yeah with especially in the secondary market like and I almost feel like a lot of this tension that comes from people that are trying to influence other people on private groups, right? Like that's really what this comes down to is you have you have people that want to be honest and then you have the people that are literally out to take down someone. And that's where like to me there is a fine line in between those two things, but they can be twisted now, on the think- internet. So are they doing that because they're trying to build up the brewery that they're close to and have access to? 
and that up and the that value plays of, into it. That for sure plays into it. It's like, hilarious. Well, it's what like veil? A, a complete stock market with yeah. insider trading, yes. stock manipulation. Have you heard of the Veil Brewing Company yeah. in Richmond? So, yeah. like, their trade value is pretty big right now. They're one of the big guys on the East Coast. They actually will call people out that try to get back in line. So they're actively looking for people that are breaking such a simple rule, which is a in brewery rule. It's not. Virginia rule law, yeah. but you can't get back in line. It's maybe a law how much booze they can yeah, but sell it's to courtesy. someone. So it is a courtesy, but I mean, unless they have some left, don't be a dick and then yeah. <laughs> get in line and cut somebody off. If somebody else wants to be that actually wants to drink the beer and not send it to some bro in California. I got turned down. I, I got back in line for a third time for a Goza at the Vale, and they turned me back. Yeah, I would have like, too. I would have told you, get this your is your third time in line, son. But hey, they let me get back the second time. Maybe they just didn't notice. So this kind of all leads to another thing, this this idea of this stock market, as you're calling it, or this, this gray economy, and that is... I think we need to just create a web page that is like a trading market. Well, Red, Reddit does one once a week. Once a week, yeah. Reddit has a get-together with all the people in the uh, subreddit beer trade and uh, or beer trading and they put together value spreadsheets so you know what region is what of what value and which standout breweries there are so you can actually use that um but my point is the subjectivity over this beer the lack of access and then the inflation of the quality of these beers just because they're limited they must be better or just because that guy who mules 70 cases a month oh that's uh, you know quality doesn't matter Quality so you end up with whales, I'm, I'm and people are seeking honest. out beers that have no quality. quality That's what I remember matter. recently. There was a post in the in the uh, Maryland Beer Trader Maryland, Maryland Beer, beer Drinkers, Drinkers Club, Club, yeah, where a guy was saying that the Maryland beer scene is crap, yeah. because there aren't people making weekly releases. Mm-hmm. I've met Which, I've met like, him before too, and he's actually a good dude. But when I you know, take to like, the, when just, you take to a private group like that, but it just it like. I like. I think it kind of fits in the su- some people's yeah. view of the culture. Is it's just ludicrous to think that limited it, availability, quality. Yeah, that's like, where we're at right now. And like, that's that's that a was, very big his shame. Basis on it's a, a shame. Good... It's dangerous. It's dangerous to the main market, right? Like it's not necessarily like it's. But that is partially why the secondary market is thriving because of this inflation of value. But we're going to have an issue when the secondary market isn't the one that's actually supporting breweries because beer traders aren't keeping our lights on. Yeah. You know, retailers are keeping our lights on. Our wholesale agreements are keeping our lights on. We're fortunate, especially in Maryland, that we're able to offer some retail access in our tasting rooms. Yeah. But the reality is is our relationships with retailers is what keeps our lights on and their relationship with the consumer. When this market eventually has some kind of shakeup, you know, 5,000 breweries plus in the country, we can't necessarily sustain unlimited growth. What is going to be the determining factor of who is a good brewery and who is not? Is it going to be who's delivering you the best value for what you're buying, which is quality? Are they meeting the expectation that they've set out for you? Or is it just who's got the best whale and you can get the best trade on it? To me, we're coming to the point where it's the breweries that are doing the best business and making the most money. Those are the ones that end up having the most trade value in the end. So like Trillium, for example, to me, maybe not as valuable as Treehouse. But that's mainly not because of quality. It's because of accessibility and availability. 
So, yeah, like to me, that's why beer trading will never end and why it's always going to be around is because there's so many different flat factors involved with it. But I do see where you're going with this with breweries that are doing a different new beer every week. And you never actually know how that beer is going to turn out. You, you're going to hit a point where you need to stop experimenting so much. And that's where I see the market heading is that we're going to see less experiments soon because breweries need to be more conscious about what they're experimenting with right now. Wild, wild west. Well, and before this podcast started, you guys are talking about, you know, scheduling out who you're going to have on shelfies, who's coming on to the uncapped podcast next. And sometimes, you know, you, you hit a schedule yeah. and there's a flaw that comes up or somebody has yeah. to call out for a reason. You know, one thing that it seems to me to be an issue is you hear, Hey, XYZ brewery is doing this release in two weeks. We're planned up for it. Buy your tickets for it. If the beer is bad, are they really willing to step up and say, hey, it was a bad beer, we plan to rebrew it, we're going to get rid of this batch, or are they just going to say, hey, it's already pre-sold, we know it's getting traded, let's just go that way? Both. You're going to get both. The brewery That's that I was talking terrifying. about earlier is they will <clears throat> they will give you your money back. If you take the beer in, they'll gladly exchange it. Why would they have released it in the first place? Yeah, and that's that's so they've legitimately they've oh they'll acknowledge that it's not right. They've right? sold beer that they knew was that they bad. They knew wasn't. Well, right. you have to yeah. you have to remember, it's so not fluid beer, but that like at the breweries the themselves, or, maybe the stuff gets released that they're due to release it at this place this day. So they have to get it in something because now they're going to have a line. You can't say oh the the beer's not ready to go. Sorry, you have to do it next week that's not that doesn't happen <laughs> availability quality like <laughs> so that, you're gonna throw yeah. it out there you're gonna throw it out there because you're committed to that date sure so well and that's i guess that's the root of my question we have poured small batches of beer out that we had yeah. every intent to put on draft right and got together but if it's as a, a can team. release there's a there's a time set burley sure. oak burley oak has canceled can releases and that's what i'm looking for is that yes. kind of a response where it should be that more people are interested in the quality yes to maintain that they have people at these events than they are just making sure that there's constantly liquid there. But it's on people like me, right? So, like, there's people, like, who are on my side of it who are in this for trading only, and they don't care if that beer is bad. They've, right. they've already got sad. trades locked up, all that. So I do understand that. I acknowledge that that is a disconnect in a way, right? But to me, it's worth it because I... I want to try as many new different things as possible, which is why I got in the craft. Yeah, but you already sports. said that what you would do is even if it was bad, you'd be like, hey, no, buddy, no, California no, no, has saying, this crappy beer. I'm not saying I would do it. I'm just saying there are people who are still going to be upset that they canceled the release because they had that beer locked up for a trade already. And that's why it is very admirable of Burley Oak to just cancel it because that's the right thing to do. Because yeah, I don't, well, I personally don't understand why a brewery wouldn't cancel. I mean, there's there's nothing but upside for canceling if they need to pay their bills. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, like, I guess there are just some trying to pull a fast one. And yeah, if, but if, once that gets out there, your subsequent releases, people are going to be like, yeah, wow, is this beer awful? Yeah, but it doesn't like, it doesn't seem like that's the case. It's not because it's not because a lot I of the, think. but a lot of these people that are standing in line, it sounds like might be just like Curtis, where yeah. they may or may not ever taste that beer. Yeah, so their only being, goal is to leverage it against something. Yes. Else. They're being shipped across yes. the country, and that and half yeah. of those people are going to equate because I'm sure every yeah. trader has received a bad beer that 
because of handling and yes. through shipping yeah. and so right. they, the For blame sure. may not even actually get pushed back onto the brewery it may end yeah. up be blamed on, on the, the trade process. so they no, when, i'm not going to use this guy it's to very trade rarely it's very rarely blamed on the process if there oh, okay. if there are issues with what is in that can when you open it whether it's from yeah attaboy monocacy flying dog anybody no problems with this though the consumer is going to blame it on the label and not on the person who gave it to them okay yep, i agree yeah and that's yeah, that's they my know concern. they probably haven't like drank it themselves you brought up a really good point earlier you know with these groups should the brewery plan on having somebody be a plant in these organ in this organization man it really does sound (laughs) like a mafioso hey mark thomas you listening right now um this idea that a brewery should have to do that is not at all uh relieving I, I, I actively take part in the Maryland Beer Drinkers Club because I, I find a lot of value in what the uh, members are talking about. I see yeah. beers that are like, man, when I get up to, you know, Boston next time, instead of just hanging around the city, I'm going to go 45 minutes west Night and go hit Treehouse. And I'm going to go see what's out there. Yeah. You know, so for me, there's a value as a consumer. But I have had the opportunity to address issues that have come up with our brand. Monoxy brand has been... Uh, talked about there both positively and negatively yeah, and mostly positive yeah I and mean, any opportunity that positive. i have yeah. i get the opportunity to address what issues could be there in a way that i don't see my peers from other breweries being able to and i think that we are at an advantage because i have an open yeah. dialogue with these people it's instead intel. of yeah yeah and i can take that back to our brewery hey yeah. quality assurance issues are coming up and this is what i'm hearing yeah. how do we address those exactly well that's why your brewery is set up to succeed right like and the one that we've kind of been referring to that we haven't named is set up to succeed in the in the pretense that that they get it all together because they've had it all together and then now it's not all together and the hope is that they get it all back together again and i wish no ill ill will towards this company i i hope they get it together like i've drank lots of beers from them that i've rated 5 out of 5 i mean but at that same token, I'm with you. They shouldn't release beers that they know aren't ready. But that's where we're at right now. And if, if a business needs to release a beer in a can that they know is bad to keep their lights on, I'm okay with that right now. Right what? now, I'm okay with that. That's crazy. Right, that's now, insane. right now, and you know what? I'm not the only person that would say that. No, you're not. But. So to me, there's a lot of loyalty, but it's a different kind of loyalty than you would think. It's not the loyalty like, oh, they're always going to buy beer from this this place. It's just that to be able to stick out the times that are bad, not every business has always had good times. Like, So you're making minimal investment contribution to ensure that that place is there. I'm okay with that. And eventually we'll have, we'll have a product together. at quality that you can use again in yes. the future for trading. Yeah, which is why I believe in having a club, right, that you could let people buy into. I, I, I mean, hey, if Monocacy puts out a release tomorrow and they're like, $100, you get to be in a part of a group of 50 people that gets first rights to all of our single releases every month, I'm giving you $100 right on the spot. Because I know through a, a certain amount of time, three, four years that I've known you guys, that I'm not going to be disappointed. I may be disappointed with a beer every once in a while. That's why I'm in it. Right. Yeah. 
So let's get back to the show. <laughs> oh, is that what this is about? That was a really cool diversion. And I'm glad we got to talk about that. Well, yeah. no, I did in the in the subject line of uh, today's episode. It does say their show and craft beer fanboyism. Okay. Yeah. Um. But so are ha, are there any dream guests you have oh. that you would absolutely? Like, who are your top three? I absolutely want to have these breweries on shelfies. Austin three sixteen says I just whipped your ass. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh <laughs> come on, that would be like the greatest. But the he's greatest had a guest brew. Well, well, he does have a he beer. Has, actually, he has he a beer that he is, has a beer with. Uh, who is it? I have no idea I who the brewer is. I just saw that headline a couple of uh, probably like six or eight weeks ago, and I was like, heck yes. And that's, that's the a- bottom line. Yeah, sorry, because Stone Cold said so. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's number one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two. Um, Dang, you know what? I would really like to have uh, the owner of uh, Burley Oak on. That would be awesome. I talked to Brian. He's interested. He is? Yeah, I did talk to Brian so about that. Immediate that dream, ago. Brian from Burley Oak. Yeah. And number three. Adam from Burley Oak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, let's see. Three. Dang, you know what? I would actually like to have one of the owners from Wicked Weed on my show. I would love to ask certain questions to that to that business owner. You want to you want to talk to the guy from Brazil? (laughs) 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 So one of the part one of the partners that obviously like the fix is in with that, right? Like whoever was investing money in them from the start, that's who I want to talk to. That whole thing. This is my opinion. I have no way to know this. The more I hear about it, this and that. I think that was totally set up to flip. They started this brewery. I've, I've read that and, multiple and, times. And they made a lot of money in proactive or whatever. They And the beers was good. And they were like, we're flipping this thing. And we're making some bank. That and we don't care who buys it. They gain their following so off it's, of so craft, though. Like, that's where I get upset about the whole thing. Oh, deal don't get them started. It, it actually, it actually started. adds, a, like, those allegations add a very interesting twist on the is craft beer a bubble because if you look at like tech bubbles and those type of thing a lot of companies will start simply to be an acquisition target they don't ever plan on themselves being profitable or being a product on their own they create themselves position themselves to be acquired by a larger company so if you have more and more if it's true that if you have more and more wicked weeds People starting breweries in, but it seems like such I, a I, long I, I, game I feel, that it but seems I feel hard like, to believe. Yeah, but I feel what, like, but when they started Wicked Weed, what was that, 2012? It was still not that long. Early, yeah. early, early on in it. So now I don't see it happening. Like I, I don't see like Curtis and I branching off and starting our own brewery with the thought that of he would never do this. But or even shelfies. We didn't start shelfies. For some for Discovery Channel to be like, hey, that show's badass. We're gonna buy it from you. That's not why it started because we like beer. That's why it started. We didn't start, but if somebody came and was like, hey, by the way, this show's pretty badass. You guys want to keep doing it? And best equipment, blah, blah, blah. I know for one, I'd be like, give me a pen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's nothing wrong with being successful, and this idea. You know, uh, I hate the they're a sold out argument. Like, it, yeah, the, the sellout me. argument is a tough thing to say. What what 
it's different if you look at the argument from two sides of the of the perspective. From the consumer's perspective, there there is a real kind of confusion as to what craft beer is. Let's so, be honest. Wicked Weed made this money off of being craft beer. That's true. And now and, and, they're and, not. Well, the by definition, but the other argument crafty beer. But uh, and as much as I get that, I, I'm never going to argue that there should not be a delineation. My my point is that there is a very valid argument from people who defend these moves, which is if they're still investing in the best equipment, they're still investing in the best method, they're still investing in the best ingredients, what is the real difference? And the real difference truly comes down to what does the ownership stake look like and how is that beer presented in the market? But who's also selling it, right? And that's where yeah, what but, happened there but, is different see, than Maryland because it would never happen in Maryland. Yeah, but see, that's but, the thing about Maryland. No, it could is, happen in Maryland. It could very well happen in Maryland that somebody could come here and find that there are two or three great breweries that are worthy of talking to and pick one of them up. But I'm saying in terms of the, the like, chain liquor stores I, but, that, that there are in the South, like especially with North Carolina, and now that they literally only sell craft beer and now they can't sell the brewery that helped their stores grow and vice versa. These, these grocery stores helped Wicked Weed get to where they are, and now they're not going to be selling them. No, they would still be selling they it, but what, happens, but what happens Exactly. It, you don't see that, though. At least in Maryland, because if it's an, if it's an ABI brand, they're pushing somebody smaller out. Like, in Maryland, you won't see that. There's a lot of good beer buyers in Maryland, and, like, they know— I hear Whitey's has a really good one. Yeah, why yeah, is that guy's an asshole? But <laughs> oh shit, can I say that? <laughs> stop cursing. But but uh, <laughs> what I'm saying is, you won't see that in Maryland. You know what I mean? Because you won't like, see what? Well, first off, you, you won't can't... you won't see people like you won't see Monocacy get at least at my store and probably most stores. You won't see Monocacy get pushed off the shelf. No, in favor yeah. of Four Peaks or one of these brands that AB owns. Just it because. is expanding the distribution. And, and, what, ha- and what happens is in, when you're in supermarket states, they're going to go to the guy who buys them for Harris Teeter. Sure, wherever, pallets at a time. And and he's like, yeah, I don't care if Monocacy gets pushed off for Four Peaks. If if my margin is as if good. If I just have the check in that check in a box. Yeah, exactly. And and so, I mean. Well, what, know, I, what I fear the most as a consumer is walking into a bar and seeing a tap lineup. That is right, because, all different the handles. Price. They all look like different varieties, but in reality, whether AB, it's AB InBev AB. or it's somebody else, all of that money is going to one company. And as a consumer, that's a really scary thought because you think you're making a choice for that beer right there. And, oh, man, look, it says it's from Colorado. But is it? Yes, it probably was manufactured there. Or all the people the who are making those there, decisions yeah. there. It, it's it's a really interesting thing, but I'll never once look at somebody like the guys at Wicked Weed and say, "Ah, they're a bunch of sellouts." They produced very good beer. They built a brand that was suitable for acquisition, and, and they made rich. the best business decision. I, mean, I, I, I have a difference. <clears throat> My, I feel like they probably did that. Who are we like, calling a sellout, purpose. by the way? But like you, I've talked to the people. owners or the brewers. I think. Uh, well, I'm not calling them anything, but I think I'm the argument the out there. Sellouts. I'm not calling no, the I, people I who made that. the beer and got them to where they are. I think. I think there's sellouts. two different versions of that too. I feel like there's the guy at Breckenridge who's been doing it for 25 years, and they come to him and they're like, "Hey, dude, we like your beer, blah blah." And I love Van- Breckenridge Vanilla Porter. So if he sells, that's different from the guy to me at Wicked Weed, who's only been in it for like three years, 
who that has the feeling of somebody guy that just wanted to flip it and make some money because he saw that craft thing getting bigger and like I'm gonna make some money here. Now the guy at Breckenridge, I don't feel I feel different about him than I than I would about Wicked Weed. So Didn't, you see a difference in in the version of success that they saw. Yes, because I prior feel like this guy this guy has been at it for 25 years and somebody comes with a big check. I'm like, that's why I call him a sellout. Okay. I, I I'm that's fine with call, I'm fine with that. I don't call Breckenridge a sellout. I call Wicked Weed a sellout, and it's specifically because they they made their brand on being craft and selling it as craft beer in and, a state and, and it was quick yeah. it was a, a but a you, quick you're flip. making a huge assumption that this was motivated solely right. to get their brand acquired by the owners by or by the person who invested this money and knew sure. it off the bat that that's why because i almost feel like he tricked everybody around them right that's why these some of these grocery stores they feel tricked in a way they feel like they got yeah fooled. but the grocery stores they like they're not going to care. It, that's why it's great to be a beer person in Maryland, a, a fan in Maryland, because there's a lot of good stores. You can go there, and their beer buyers are going to know what's up. I don't have anything against the ABI brands, personally. Like, there's some 10-barrel stuff that I've tried that I think is money. I've always been a huge Devil's Backbone fan, and that's not really a beer geek beer, necessarily, but they've it's always made beer. solid yeah, beer. It always they, tastes good. They, yeah, they, they've made solid beers for a long time, and I know a lot of them personally. I was more, I worry more about brands like that, that like what happens to their help and what happens to this and what happens to that. Now, nothing's happened so far. I don't know if that's going to change. So I, I still support those brands. But, you know, like, there's other... You just don't know. Easy I mean, for to... you to say, right? Like you work in the industry, you're making, and and I'm not blaming you for this for this viewpoint. I don't, I don't, I don't hate. But I, but I always think I, I think right. But I mean, I don't. I know actually do know the owner. Name drop. <laughs> um, but I feel like that guy. I've talked to him enough that I feel like he did the best. He thinks he was doing the best for his company and for his people. So I don't, I don't have an issue with that. If that makes sense. I respect hey, that. Yeah. Well, Jim, I think that Bruzelli has something going on that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Uh, before we close this up, I just wanted to talk about the upcoming uh, Caribbean Beer Dinner at Brewers Alley on Tuesday, June the 13th. We've got a couple of past hors d'oeuvres with some really uh, great beer pairings. We've got uh, full dinner entrees of beer pairings and desserts, 45 bucks a person for the seating. Uh, you pay uh, an additional gratuity and tax on the $45, but uh, it's always a great time, good opportunity to uh, sit around and talk about food and beer with our brewmaster and nice. uh, have a nice time at Brewer's Alley. Great. And Tom Flores? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. The Tom Flores. Wow. The Tom, Tom, Flores. Tom Flores has been a guest on, uh, on Cat Podcast. Nice. Yes, and thank you for having yeah. us on. Like, seriously, thanks for letting oh, us take your welcome. show over. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's been a great time. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for bringing Galaxy Made, one of my favorite beers. Yes, very good. And cheers Jim, to Attaboy. Thank you for bringing. Attaboy. Yes, cheers. Carly and Brian are two of the greatest people in craft beer. Jim right up there, Deadhead and, and Red Sox fan. And thank you for Jim for bringing Paper Canoe. Um, everyone should go to. Uh, Noxy and pick some of that up because it was absolutely delicious and you should drink it not trade it ah! yeah. <laughs> yep <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you guys for coming Jeez. on not so thank easy. you everyone for listening shout out Liz cheers. Murphy cheers shout yeah out thank Liz you Liz Murphy. the Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me Chris Sands 
Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.